your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan, the power trio, back together under some unfortunate circumstances as Everton dropped out of the Caribou Cup. 4-1 against Bournemouth at the Vitality Stadium. A dismal match weather-wise, performance-wise, and uh, morale-wise, I think, all around. With the loss, Everton have managed just 14 shots on target in their last Six games, if you exclude the Palace match, eight shots on target in five bleak times. But we have a rematch on the cards with Bournemouth at the weekend, hoping to uh, right the ship or start to right the ship before the World Cup break. We will break down the match today uh, as succinctly as possible and dive into the performances and uh, points of contention. Certainly, uh, I think. Some concerns amongst the fan base for this one. We'll get into it before we do. Just a reminder, if you enjoy the show, leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on social media and join our Discord invite.gg slash ATP. With that, gentlemen, let's get into instant match reactions. Go to Ryan first. I went with Casey Griffin at C underscore Griff 314, only because he doesn't have the at that's a dead repetition of the first one because I always screw that up. No one's going to understand that. Unless they listen all the time. Okay, Casey, uh, behind on two of the flukiest goals I've ever seen, but also arguably the worst performance of the Lampard era. We were somehow worse than the pitch. (laughs) Three at the back needs a center back who can step out and miss the leadership qualities of the first team the most. The team looked lifeless. I don't know if it's lifeless, but slow and indecisive for sure. Um, that you know what I mean? It wasn't that they didn't care or anything. Um, and that can be a byproduct of of lack of design, lack of kind of tactical identity and and but yeah, it was it was sluggish and slow at times for sure. They certainly looked like they were breathing and alive. That's one of the nicer things I could say about the team today is they mm-hmm. they were in fact living. For my reaction, I went with Paul Roberts at PD Roberts, 1968, who said that was poor. Not sure what plans Frank has for matches at the moment. Good job. We have six weeks off. I may turn the commentary down and play soothing meditative sounds in the background when watching them on Saturday. Yeah, I think I might just like mute my TV and play like a nice beach wave crashing soundtrack as uh, the match goes on in the background. So I thought that was a good one from Paul. Alex, you... uh, you went with a, a fitting one for the circumstances we, the three of us find ourselves in right now. Yeah, I mean, look, look, we're feeling it. Ben said it. Ben, or at Ben Joe Eddie, he said, I feel bad for you guys that you are actually going to do a pod on this game. It was awful. Have a night off instead. Spend some time with your families and don't watch EFC again until after the World Cup. That's my plan. Peace. Uh, you see, ironically, we're not. We're still recording right now, but we're dedicated we're just we're just here uh we're just here to have fun so some of sometimes the only solace we get from how bad everton are is just hanging out doing a pod with the boys as far as said so speak for yourself i'm still frustrated so. <laughs> 
Oh, no. I mean, look, look, I mean, the thing is, obviously, I love you guys dearly. But the thing is, when you watch something where there's just so many kind of fundamental flaws and basic stuff, I mean, it's just got it just has to get to you sometimes, you know, um, and that was a lot of it today. No score predictions. No score predictions. Third consecutive match with no correct score predictions in a bit of a drought in a bit of a funk as are Everton. Let's wind the clock back to happier times. Oh, go ahead, Alex. You want to we could we could switch it to um, shot on target predictions because I feel <laughs> like maybe it might go about the same way. Over under. Um, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah, my number start. Let's um let's start with the Bournemouth lineup, shall we? Can we talk about that? Because the thing that was frustrating about this one was it wasn't like they were playing their eighteen. Uh, I mean, Metham, Christie, Zamora, they're regular guys. Anthony's off and off the bench. Um, he played a lot last year. I mean, Stacy was the starter last year, so I guess he's not completely unknown. But I mean, Stanislas, Stevens, Rothwell. My God, I mean, talk about lack of pace. Low. Um, he played a bit last year, I suppose, scored some goals, but these guys are mostly backups. So I, even on paper, I think you look at this, I think we have the more talent on the field, even though, I mean, it wasn't our strongest lineup either, was it, Alex? No, no, this was a completely new starting 11, uh, 11 full changes. Based on the personnel, you would you would think it, it looks like a 3-5-2 or, or, you know, a 5-3-2 based on the personnel, you know, especially the three center backs. Um, I think, you know, the the prevailing thought at at, at when the lineup dropped was, you know, people were saying, hey, this is positive, get people minutes that haven't been getting minutes. Um, you know, let's see kind of how this midfield is going to be set up with with Davies, Ducore, Garner. Um, you know, another big thing was five five players on the bench were from the youth teams, uh, which we, you know, inevitably saw a couple of them come in towards the tail end for some minutes. So overall, interesting selection. Um, we'll get into how that kind of plays out. Ryan, why don't you bring us to the tactical setup for the match? Yeah, we we set up that three five three or three five two. Apparently, we we could have added a player today. It might have gone better. Um, I'm not entirely surprised we changed it up because if you look at kind of the bench players, I, I do think it maybe be maybe is more conducive to a three man back line. And I I didn't hate the personnel selection for today, knowing that I mean we're in trouble in the league in general. It's going to be a little tighter than we want, so I think that should be the focus. And I know some people get mad at me about that. This is our best chance to win a trophy. I, I hear that. The best chance for us to win a trophy is have a good team. So um, no doubt if we were firmly confident about being mid-table, go after the Cups like crazy, right? I, I totally would. I get that. But we're not there. Um, Bournemouth has been playing a lot of four-two-three-one, and it looks like that's kind of what they were doing in the buildup with two defensive mids. But they were pressuring us with two center forwards and almost like like a 4-4-2 in shape, which made it hard for us. I mean, it was way too easy for them to take our, our number six out of the match um, and make it so we had to pass around the outside. We're attacking. We're definitely attacking at 3-5-2. I mean, Vinagre was pushed up really high. Patterson was pinned back a couple times. But for the most part, he had some freedom to go forward. Borderline terrified to do that with Keane behind him, who did not play a good match. I, I think it looked like we lacked a little passing design, too. I think that's part of the slowness. We we didn't have scripted passes, at least that we could pull off very well. Uh, Mina was quarterback today. He was a little off, I think, with this passing, but that's understandable. He's been out for, for a couple months. The one discussion I wanted to have with you guys was, if you were to look at this midfield, Decoring, Davies, Garner, which one would you pick to be more of the sitting six? Because I could tell you right now, Garner was the choice today, and I'm. It appears to me, and you saw it this weekend, 
that Frank believes that James Garner can play the six. And, and I, my suspicion is that I remember watching Garner play with the, the U21s with England. And I think Ashley Cole's on the bench. So, so maybe he thinks that he's good in that role. Um, I, I don't, I don't think he can play it at all. And I think we saw it tonight, but, but if you were to look at those three, would you have thought he was kind of from what you've seen so far of him, he would have been the one out of that three to play the six. I'm not so sure I would. I mean, that's like a two-part question, right? I, I would say I would have guessed yes, only because that's how we've seen Frank kind of slot him in for some sub minutes. Um, Good point. M- me personally, if I were to look at those three and say which one should play the six, um, I wouldn't even go with who I feel like may be the strongest six, but I would try to think about you know the, the strengths of the midfield players as a whole. Um, with that said, and knowing that Davies has played the six before um, in bit part roles, I would probably choose him there. Um, Ducore is, has played further forward. We've seen him pop up with the goals, especially beginning of last season when he played further forward. Um, you know, Garner has a bit of pace, uh, a bit more pace than Tom Davies does as well. Uh, so like I said, I mean, you know, we, we've seen Ducore kind of try to sit and it wasn't amazing either, but I feel like his strengths are better used elsewhere. What about you? James? Yeah, I think, I think that's right, Alex. I'd agree with Davies. I think if you look at those three, as far as limitations, who's who's what when has tom davies had the most success in this team when he's had the opportunity to play it's when he's been in a very limited restricted role typically more more defensively minded trying to clean stuff up not asked to do too much other than just clean up messes where necessary so i would have picked tom davies and then tried to get decore and garner further forward ryan you alluded to it but the passing sequences were really ugly they very easily prevented that pass into james garner which kind of just seemed like our only real idea other than to spray it wide uh, and let Nathan Patterson try to sprint forward 70 yards into the final third. Yeah. And Davies gets that at least in possession. I'm fine with Tom Davies in the back. And you saw it when Garner went out, he, he, he moves into space. He tries to make himself available and the pitch made that a little tough today too. Um, I, I actually would go with DeCorey. And the reason why I would do that is I feel like he's been a little more passive recently and I think he gives you some athleticism and size back there. And I think Davies and Gardner, if you kind of unleash them and let them run around like maniacs up there, I, I think they're going to do pretty well. I think Dukes is maybe a little bit better at cleaning up the garbage. And and I think Davies and Garner both can kind of make a line cutting pass. And I think it gives them a little more freedom to try and get us more successfully into the final third. But Garner's my sick might. My last choice out of those three. I mean, even a Forrest last year in the championship, they didn't dare put him back there. He does not have that kind of positional discipline. I know some people say, well, he was a center back, but I don't care. You know, I've seen him play. The thing is, if you're going to play back there like that and you've got wingbacks out there and you can't have wide center halves to distribute the ball and move the ball up, you've got to have a six there that is active. I mean, he was just standing around half the time pointing. And I know we've had some great pointers in this side, but really you need someone that's going to point and then receive the ball into the space you pointed to. Um, So it just didn't work for me. And it just had us pushing the ball wide. And the sad part, when we did get the ball down the middle, we were successful. That being said, the Gordon and Moped combination up top, I I don't think was great. I mean, Moped did a couple things with the, the touches he had. I mean, Anthony Gordon, you'd think this would maybe have freed him up to kind of do a little more damage and, and use his pace and get around the pitch more. And he was drifting, drifting left a little bit more. He had 24 touches in 52 minutes, zero key passes, two shots, none on target, zero for one crosses, lowest pass percentage of all the starters. He did not respond again. And I don't know what you do there because he just looks lost. 
ineffective. Um, and the pressure, by the way, what is the pressing trigger? You know, I feel like it's so disjointed, even when Gordon, who I think is good at putting pressure on players, if he runs out at the right center half, you know, Davies didn't know, does he go up? Does he not go? Did Vinagre go up? I mean, completely disjointed, especially on that side. So we were easily bypassed at times. And that's what made it easier too to get behind Gardner. Yeah, very curious with the Anthony Gordon up top. Like if you if you're using him in that position, you kind of want to play to his strengths. We ended up kind of hoofing it long. I don't know if I've seen Anthony Gordon win very many aerials in his career. It's just it, it and part of that is obviously like, look, this eleven hasn't played together. It's a lot of guys coming back from yeah. injury or guys that are coming out of the cold, but it also just felt like whatever plan there may or may not have been. Whatever Frank had said pre-match, like there was very little execution uh, in a positive way. And, uh, and, it was, and they were it was very poor. balanced. And I felt like they were under, even though we had the ball more, I felt like they were balanced. They kind of had more intent. They kind of knew a little bit more what they were doing. They were trying to exploit the space behind our fullbacks or wingbacks a bit. And they were successful doing it. I mean, 45% of the time they went down the left, only 19% down the middle. But they had most of their success, in essence, down down the left side, our right side. That being said, we had most of our success, at least in the first half, attacking from the right as well. So before we get into the timeline, though, how about a quick break with a word from our sponsors? All right, folks, we're back. Let's get right into the timeline. The match kicked off and Everton almost immediately conceded a goal. Uh, that seems to be a trend uh, conceding first lately, and that was in the seventh minute. It was low with a, as a Ryan, your, your instant match reaction alluded to a fluke shot, a fluke shot. Um, the fact that he was open enough to have the shot, I think is the larger problem, but this one looked like it was going to hit the bar and go out. And it kind of, I think probably because the bar was wet, just like bounced straight down and went in. Uh, nothing Begovic could do, took an unlucky deflection, but the defensive positioning leading up to this, I mean, he's got all kinds of space. No one really closes him down. James Gardner gets sucked out by Rothwell out of position, who's uh, Michael Keane steps forward, not known to be uh, quick in terms of change of direction and gets bypassed very easily. Uh, Gardner can't win the ball back, goes to low. Patterson closes him down. Gardner gets there, it deflects off him and kind of loops over Begovich for the goal. Yeah, it's a structural issue to me. I mean, Gardner gets suckered. I mean, he's got to stay back there and defend the back line. Um, and, you know, if he's going to vacate that space, I mean, he's literally ahead of Tom Davies and DeCorey. What is he doing? And this is exactly why I don't like him playing back there. Uh, and again, either one of those two other guys can get out of that space, too. It's not like they're super disciplined. But what's even worse is it's compounded by the fact that Keen kept having to step into that space. Same thing happened five minutes later, by the way. I mean, Keen doesn't do himself any favors, too. It's one thing that, you know, the pass gets received and it's immediately one, two to pass it right around Keen. Grab the player, like get in front of him, body him as he tries to get by you. At least fine. You give up a, you know, free kick 30 yards out. And then I, this Patterson closes down on the player. He's got a guy to his side. So I get that he leaves him. But Garner, I mean, Garner took forever to get there, and it's not because he's slow. Garner had another chance to take out the distributor in the middle who gave it over left side to low. But, I mean, it's a fluke shot, and it, it's, I don't know. What do you say to this one? I mean, it's a, it, it's a lot of errors, but, I, I mean, it's a pretty harsh result, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's not what you want, especially that early on in the cup match, um, especially based on, you know, the, the feelings around uh, the camp and, and, and being away as well, right? 
but then of course, you know, we had some big chances pretty quickly, quickly, and they were much more clear, clear cut than uh, Bournemouth were able to muster at that point. Right. Davies was one-on-one with the keeper and just blasted over the bar. Not sure why, not sure why he chose that shot. Right. And I, I had flashbacks of like your, your chip in 2016 against city. And we're talking about it six years later, apparently is like the notable thing. Um, but, but like, how do you go from that to that? That just is, is clear. Um, anyway, and, and, and Gordon had a header, which was pretty close. And then Garner had a good shot, which, um, you know, I think James mentioned earlier too. So, Better chances um, going into the half, really, and and we had the higher XG at that point too. And Duke Corey finds Davies. You know what's so sad about it? Tom Davies does so well with the pass. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he takes it in full pace, streaking behind the back line. It's a wonderful first touch. And then, I mean, the turf wasn't great today. We'll get to that in a little bit. Gordon missed a header at one point off. I think I don't know if it was a set piece. I think it was that just mystifying to me how he knocks it over. And then he had another play where Patterson could have done a little bit better, maybe to get the pass out to him on the breakout to his right foot. But dear Lord, step in and hit it with your left. Then it's not like his left is that bad. And he just got it was slow with it. Didn't even get really a shot off, got deflected. I mean, these were pretty big chances. Garner does have a cracking right foot. No doubt about it. It was a pretty good save, but, and then my favorite moment was at the end of the first half, when we line up to take a corner and, Tom Davies is is about to take it, and I'm thinking, what on earth? <laughs> under what world? And and he played a short one, and they completely screwed it up. But it was something off the training pitch, clearly. But I I don't know what we're doing in, for set piece work and training. Presumably a decent amount, but it feels like every time we go short, it is a disaster. It I mean, you got really three center well. halves in. You know what I mean? Decore's in there. You've got some size. And you got Garner, who's really good with service, and you do that. I thought Anthony Gordon was good with service. <laughs> there it is. You've been missing Amari Gray, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that was just. Oh man, you shake your head. Now that being said, though, I, I mean the numbers don't look that bad. I mean, from a first half standpoint, I mean that's a pretty fluky goal. And while I don't think we looked fluid or amazing, I mean, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, we, we were the worst side. I mean, the numbers, I mean, what we won possession. I mean, some of these numbers don't look that bad. Yeah. I mean, five to two in shots. We were only dispossessed twice. They were dispossessed five times. We had eight tackles, uh, four for Bournemouth. And yeah, despite being down, it felt like the game was still, you know, well in the balance. I still think, the possession, we've talked so much about the possession. It wasn't a lot of threatening possession. I think all of the, the center backs had a good number of touches. Mopai and Gordon weren't really heavily involved. Patterson was, I think, probably our most effective attacking outlet in the first half. Uh, Vinagre did okay, but he didn't really get the ball very much. So game not over by any stretch. Uh, you know, We had a opportunity to fight back and come out strong in the second half as we've been hoping to see for a number of weeks and yet that was not to be as shortly after the second half kicked off things went completely off the rails i i don't know what to say about this goal um <laughs> okay just slips i mean what do you say i mean i i know it was wet um and then the ball kind of, you know, it's, it, he falls, ball's taken from him, ball gets slipped in the near half space, Mina comes over, slides, can't stop the far post layup. Keen isn't there. I, I don't, that was really strange. He runs back. I, he did absolutely nothing there. It's an easy goal, but it's just an unlucky slip and bang, we're down 2-0. Look, the, the field was poor. I mean, it slowed down our play. Um, don't get me wrong. 
our play was slow anyway, but this was just a dagger. I mean, I felt like we could at least maybe get a result here. We still had the ball a lot. We didn't look that bad. And this just kind of killed us. And I think this is where Frank just got fed up with it and, and, you know, finally made subs in the 52nd. But that's just kind of a fluke of a goal, right? I mean, there's not much we can make of this one. Certainly nothing Bego can do about this one. Yeah, it was just a gut punch, especially after, you know, what we said that the flute goal in the first half and, and feeling like, you know, maybe we did a bit more um, leading into it. So just to come out and concede to get, you know, two nil is, is, is not great at all. Yeah. And on the field, I mean, it's poor, but to me, it didn't feel like it impacted Bournemouth nearly as much. Like in the first half, Tom Davies slipped a few times. We had players kind of sliding all over the place, but it didn't seem like it was impacting that them that much. So I'm wondering why the impact was so outsized against us. Did we not have the right size studs on whatever it may be? But yeah, I mean, Mason Holgate finally gets back in the team after a, a lengthy hiatus. And that's how he um, eventually would like that's a, the, the final note that he would end his appearance on. Cause as you said, Ryan, in the 52nd minute, Frank has had enough and goes with the triple sub starters on to hopefully save the day. He brings on Owobi gray and McNeil our creative goal scoring trifecta here to save the day. James Garner gets yanked, Anthony Gordon and Mason Holgate. Um, and I think the most positive thing out of that is Owobi on the left-hand side. And immediately you could see made an instant impact. I like the subs. I, I thought they were the right guys for sure. Um, they were the only guys. Fair. Uh, Davies kind of sat back then and tried to play the six. And at that point, we needed to get on the ball. So I think that's the right time to put him in there in that role. Um, yeah, I have to admit, even with these three center halves, man, do we even have a remotely close chance off a set piece? I, I'm looking at it. We have one set piece goal in the Premier League. Only two teams have none. And last year, I feel like we had a bunch. We had a bunch year before. And, you know, I guess we don't have the own goals this year at a match. But, <laughs> you know, it's just something that you think about. You're like, God, even when you were playing three center halves a couple times this year, there's no threat. So fine. We change. We look more dynamic. We're on the ball a little bit more. Um, I mean, there were some decent sequences out left. I like that Vinagre, Gray, Awobi kind of tandem and, and the moped sneaking over there a little bit, who was largely ignored. But. Um, we looked dangerous and we started controlling the game. And let me tell you what, this goal in the 66 was pretty, no question. Yeah, it was a really nice finish by Gray. It was funny to see him kind of post up, just stand still, look at his teammates after the the finish and, and ran over and, you know, tried to get the fans hyped up saying, come on, let's get back in this match. It's 2-1. Um, it was really nice interplay with Finagre back to Awobi. Um, usually a hard pass to find in the final third. And uh, Mope does a really, really good job with the one touch to Gray. Um, who then slides, slots it home. Um, overall, it was a good finish. I honestly wasn't that hype about it. You know, maybe I should have felt more hype about it. It just, it was a gut feeling, I think. But uh, overall, it was a nice finish. You know, good to see the subs having an immediate impact. It was the glimmer of hope. The glimmer of hope that we desperately needed. Twitter was going nuts. People were fuming. The fans, the way fans were booing the team. And then Gray comes and gives us just that sliver of hope. And it's a, I mean, he, the way he turns his hips and curls that is, is really slick, uh, well executed. Um, but that was kind of where our attack basically died after that. From the 70th minute on, we didn't get a single shot off, which is crazy. Cause again, the subs come on in the 52nd. We look pretty positive for 15, 20 minutes. We get a goal and then it just kind of dies after that. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I even questioned that. I'm like, that can't be right. And then I started thinking and I'm like, I don't think he really had one. I mean, I feel like the moped had one where he kind of, um, you know, cruised over on his two wheels in front of the 18 and fire one into the crowd. But that must have happened before the goal. Surely we had another chance, but I, I don't I mean, who score doesn't indicate that we did. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just sad, too. And, and you know, ultimately they, they come over, score a third this goal. I don't even know what to say about this thing. This is game over, of course. Um, Davies is way off to the right here because I think it was someone on a counter. Patterson gets beat on a basic wall pass and Mina tries to come over and cover and, and it's an easy pass back to the spot. Lowe is just standing there. And again, like Michael Keane has been in the league for how long he's a fairly experienced defender. There's no one else around him. Like, how do you not know what he's going to do? And I, it just drives me crazy. Some center halves just don't react to it. And I get it. If it's behind you, you know, and you're coming out to the passer and you're kind of in trouble. You don't know if they're going to go to the goal. They're going to go to the spot. He's kind of in front of them. Like just stay on the man. There was no one else there, but Agri tries to chase him down. Low gets the ball shoots. Bego saves the thing. And of course it just falls to Marcondosis and he just kind of taps it in and bravo for him. Um, at this point, it's just, it was sad, depressing. And you're thinking, wow, this was a bad performance. I mean, I know the priority has got to be the league, but um, if this had only been all it was, it had been disappointing. But then we give up a goal in the 82nd, and this is just embarrassing. Yeah, it's just, it's just again, sloppy, poor defending. Patterson gets kind of left on his own, gives the ball away, goes to Anthony. McNeil dives in. You can't give the ball away like this, though, James. I mean, you're the last guy there. I mean, you can't lose it here. Right, right. So you're basically, we basically, I think that's what's the most embarrassing part about it is that we basically, like, we have no real realistic way to get back into this game. And then we just gift them another dagger right into our hearts. This is a mistake. I mean, this is nothing that they did. I mean, this is a flat out handing the ball to someone. And that's, that's three of our goals. Basically one was a fluky deflection. One's Holgate falling. And this is Patterson just hands it away. And I, I, you know, watching McNeil try and defend Anthony here uh, was kind of pathetic, but um, he does well. It's an easy slotted. And I mean, look after this, I mean, I'm sure most people turned off the televisions, but uh, you know, we pass it around a bit, but that's, that's about it. I mean, it's just, this was, it's just embarrassing. And I understand why people immediately reacted the way, the way they did. I mean, but then after that, it was like 93% pass success, 83% possession and not a single shot. I mean, that's like 10 good minutes or two minutes of extra time. We still didn't get a shot on. I mean, that is just, it's I mean, the only thing that happened was Wobi got mad and shoved someone, which I never see him do. And Mina was ticked off at a couple points, but he's just trying to wind people up. And at this point, I'm like, really? Now that's how you're going to get mad and respond. That almost made it worse, in my opinion. Yeah, the Wobi thing was very out of character, but you could tell he, I mean, it, it looked like he tried to swing and like punch the guy, but then on the replay, he didn't really, he just kind of did a little spin move on him. But yeah, never seen Alex fired up that way. It was, well, I've seen Alex Johnson fired up that way, but never seen uh, Damn right. Alex, Alex Johnson <laughs> gets fired up, folks. <laughs> but never Alex Wobi. So that ends the timeline, gentlemen. I think now we pivot and discuss performances, individual performances. And uh, I guess we start with the quote unquote good. If there's any good to be found of a four, one loss in the cup. I got no idea on this one. A I mean, he was pretty good. I suppose 
Gray had a great goal. He looked okay. Vinagre of all the starters looked all right. I mean, Holgate wasn't even that bad outside the slip. I mean, took care of the ball, but I mean, what, you know, there's, how do you pick and choose a bunch of good performances after that debacle you have to be, tonight? There are, there are many. You have to be very selective and refine your uh, definition of good. So I oh, like picked, you did. Yes, exactly. So I picked Nathan Patterson in parentheses, first half only. And that's because I thought that he did very well attacking in the first half, at least compared to the rest of the team. He had that one really, really good run forward. He got forward quite a bit um, and looked impactful. 54 touches in the first half, tied for second in the team. Michael Keane uh, was first and finished the game first. Less impactful in the second half, and the defensive errors started to slip in, which is why I can't give his full game credit, but he finished one for three in tackles with a couple interceptions, dispossessed three times, including that final time, which led to their fourth goal. Um, my other good was that year. I mean, I played 90 minutes and stayed healthy, which is always a positive. Um, Alex, what was your selection? Yeah, I mean, so so for for these sections, good and bad, I, I refuse to acknowledge individual players. So I'm going for... Uh for maybe a positive to take for the match. And that is, I really hope this result and this performance will help further persuade the Everton hierarchy to invest in a very positive January transfer window for Frank, for the team, and most importantly for the fans, because we need it. Well said. Well said indeed. And then the uh, easier half of this segment is the bads today. And, uh, Ryan had a hard time choosing because there were so many options. This one was almost harder. Um, <laughs> uh, I was starting to make a list. I mean, it just got so ridiculous. Everyone, you G- can just say Gordon everyone. was Gordon was horrible. Um, he did so little, but I, I not to pile on the guy. I, I don't think very highly of him. I guess to begin with, at least right now. Um, Garner was so pointless at a six and just lacked such energy and just didn't understand the position. I I think that was really a a big, a big reason why we looked as badly as we did in the first half. Um, there's so many, I mean, we were just out of shape constantly and just couldn't build at all with the ball. So I guess I'll pin it on him, but he wasn't the only one, James. I, I think your name is one I seriously considered as well, because I just talk about lifeless and talk about slow and just, ugh. Yeah, uh, as you might have inferred from Ryan's comments, I went with Michael Keane. Basically, today showed exactly why he's been our last choice center back this season, um, which says a lot, you know, because our defensive numbers, as have been discussed on the show, are horrific. Um, and he didn't do a whole lot to uh, show why he should be getting picked out above any of the existing crop. Just looked really slow and off the pace. And, you, you know, look, he, he's barely played this season. He's obviously going to be rusty. I think that's part of it. But one for seven in aerials. He led the team in touches. Just can't defend in space. And when you have Patterson going forward so aggressively, it left him exposed a lot of the time, which doesn't do him too many favors. Um, Second half, once the subs were made, Tom was staying back to cover on that side a little bit, but he was just not very good. Um, And I don't know. We had a comment from Frank post-match that uh, dovetails nicely with the performances overall. I, I, this is his quote is I I've not seen him say this. So I'm stealing this. I think in this case from the toffee blues, but I've seen a bunch of people post it. The quote is if you make those mistakes repetitively, then the answer is simple. And that is probably why you don't play so much. I mean, that's, 
Yeah. And I thought yeah. the timing behind your Michael Keane, uh, not the best performance is it now that being said, he hasn't played a lot and yeah. he hasn't played a lot too, but I mean, the slip by Holgate, you know, some of the defensive mistakes by Patterson, um, Keane was a disaster. I mean, this to me is targeted at Michael Keane. If I, if I'm reading between the lines, it's just, well, this, I, this comes like, it. This comes like a day or two after we started seeing, you know, some some somewhat of concrete links, you know, for a possible loan move out in January for him, too. So that's interesting timing. Um, there was interest in, in him in the loan market, for sure. I just no one's willing to buy him. I mean, the wages right. are, are decently high. Yeah. And when you've got a guy this limited, I mean, who, who goes after him? There are only so many Burnley type teams out there. Yeah, exactly. Um, for me, my bad was uh, Frank and the coaching staff. I'm I'm really getting tired of the lack of clear ideas for for players' roles and also team setups. You know, we we have gone through so many iterations for both. Some players on the pitch, you know, like Gordon, for example, have played in you know up to like three different roles already this season. You know, left, right, paired up top with Mope to an extent. Um, some of the midfielders, as we've talked about, we've seen them. Tom Davies was used in two different roles just today um, in a different setup that we haven't been playing for. How long? I don't know. Six, six weeks, something. I'm kind of take, talking out of my butt there, but uh, it just often feels like players aren't being used to their strengths. You know, I think now after the match, um, you know, whether whether we feel it could be reactionary or not, and we'll get into that. Many social media shouts for Lampard out if we don't win on Sunday and, and my I mean, excuse me, on Saturday. And, and my point there is pressure is building, which is never good. Um, you know, I'm complaining about all these changes about lack of clear ideas, and yet it's clear, uh, based on performances, we're still going to need more, whether that's with the same personnel or additions in January, because we have to find some sort of winning or maybe even just a drawing formula uh, in the league. So what do we think? I mean, is this tactics? Is it players? I mean, is it Frank? Is Frank on the hot seat? It's interesting. So we had, you know, I put that out in our post-match tweet solicit some reactions and we had RuPaul Pogba who said that Frank on the hot seat's laughable and that should stop will not stop. I, I don't think he like being on the hot seat doesn't mean that you're imminently going to be sacked, but I think it just means there's building pressure as you said, Alex. And I think it's undeniable that the results lately bar the palace match have been nowhere near good enough We're we've no cohesive offense. We're not scoring goals. We're not even getting shots. We're not creating anything and the defense is like a sieve like we're just letting everything through despite not actually conceding much which ultimately is what matters to be clear but we're giving up a lot of chances and it feels like our position in the table is a bit fortunate right now given um all of the numbers that we've talked about which we'll reiterate alex you wanted to add something there no i just to say that we're on the same page i don't think that he's on the hot seat but i think uh you know, his butt is sweating in anticipation, if you will. He he is on the hot seat, but he's not. <laughs> he does. He, he's probably got a sweaty butt right now. Let's be real. 100%. He's a little nervous. That Extremely said, anxious. Like, we're here. We go. We come. <laughs> Ryan's like, what are these two idiots talking about? The the heat. He's got the heated seats on full blast. It's not good. Real, it's not a, real men's butt sweat. <laughs> I know, but that's why they, I like the cooling seats. You know, I don't have them in my car and I wish I did. That's a nice um, feature. We don't need that too much up in Maine. No, but speaking of uh, just being cold in general, I mean, it's not just the attack. Everyone keeps talking about, oh, we can't score goals. Well, we're 15th in XG. We're 18th in XG against. So, I, but look, a couple of things to give Frank some credit and some context here. We've had a bottom third spend since Frank has been here. 
And he was dumped on a lot of players, too, that clearly are not good enough. Um, I, I had no problem with the formation today, I, I, other than the way he pick and chose people to be in it. And, and it did make you think, like, we just played. We couldn't have been in training doing that much tactical work um, leading up to this one, or at least it didn't look like we did. So I, I think ultimately where that really kills us, I've seen Frank structure teams where they build out from the back pretty well. Um, but I, I, I didn't see that very well because I think more individual performances, I think structurally that part was okay. It's just when we get in the final third, it's just, it's just not there. You don't see it at all. And, and I can't tell if we want to go fast or we want to go quickly or we want to hold it and keep it. And, um, and that's the type of stuff that plays havoc on, on your defense too, because I think we're getting in, we're getting hit a lot more on the counter. I mean, it's not the teams are necessarily hanging on to it, breaking us down slowly necessarily. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't think he's on the hot seat yet. Um, no, I mean, I, it, it, it's back to the age old debate, right? Like, do we, do we risk chopping and changing again? And to the points you raised, Ryan, we haven't spent a lot. He does the team that he inherited and continues to have is frankly, just not very good, which we know and has been well established because it's not like we started to suck when Frank showed up. It's been a long term decline um and we just need we and part of it is just need better players like that's really the main thing and the teams around us have all largely improved and spent money well and spent a lot of it and we just haven't so i think we're just kind of falling behind um which is concerning but there have been positive moves and, and again part of like it's very easy to call for for the red saboteur to be sacked because he was so unlikable in almost every way. Whereas Frank, incredibly personable, very likable guy comes across well in interviews, charismatic, all those sorts of things. He gets the club in it, you know, quote unquote, and in a way that feels much more genuine um, than managers in the past. So I think he does have, you know, the goodwill of the fans and has had it for some time, but results will be the undoing of any manager. And if things don't course correct, I, I do think eventually we would have to to pull trigger. Um, hopefully it doesn't come to that. And I, well, I, I do hope that that's the case. Well, I'll say this. Uh, the one thing about it is that Thelwell didn't hire Frank. And to me, I think that's problematic, meaning as the director of football really has to be your number one football guy. He's got to be the liaison to the board. He's got to be the one that takes that overall club identity that God knows if we even have established up top, but taking that and really saying, okay, this is how we want to play football. And I think that the reason why it's so important, why they have to select the managers, because they also have to select the head of recruitment and make sure that they work together. And that's who holds them accountable, not anyone else. Like you can't have the director of football and the manager debating on who we should sign and how we should play and things like that. Like they can't be on equal levels. It breaks the whole model. Otherwise, you just have someone that's kind of involved in some aspect of football and just not the first team. It's, I just don't think it works. And, and that way you can get to a point where, you know, part of your footballing identity has got to be a recruitment strategy. And it, what, what's it, what does it lend to? So say Frank really likes young English players, for example, likes working with them. And James Garner would be a good example of that. Maybe that's not the most cost effective way to do business. And maybe we have to do business differently. So if that's the case, I mean, you can't let the manager drive something like that. They've got to be that that can't be any conflict, I suppose, in that is what I'm saying. The director of football has to be the boss. The man is setting it. And, and I will say this. I'm not in favor of Frank being fired. And I, I like Frank. I think Frank has helped us bring back 
maybe some of the right mentality and ideas around Everton football club. And, and I think he's a classy guy in front of the mic and has represented us. Well, I mean, that being said, you need results. I get it, but there are lots of reasons why the results aren't necessarily there. And I didn't have high expectations coming into this. Um, but you know, it does get to a point where maybe if Frank were to leave, this is an opportunity for Kevin to kind of put his, put his footprint down and, and be in charge of the hiring and really establish the football side that we need it to be. But I would prefer that's not the way by all accounts, they work well together and, and it kind of has backed itself into a decent structure, but I mean, we need more, more talent for sure. Um, I don't think what Clyde said is crazy though. I mean, here in our, in our, in our listener comments. No, Clyde Verdon Jr. at C Verdon 34. I'm not saying fire the man, but check the room. Things have not looked well for two plus weeks and you don't need me to do a search on where some stand right now in terms of their frustration. And frankly, we're going to need some of them because injuries are coming. I'm, I presume he means, you know, possibly World Cup injuries. Hopefully not, though. Knock on wood, but we know hopefully international not. breaks are never good. Yeah, hopefully not. I mean, injuries happen, but if most of our squad is staying home and we have a month to get healthy, I actually think that bodes well if we can have other guys back. And that actually segues rather nicely into our last little piece for the day, which is good news on the injury front. Obviously three players left injured for Everton at the weekend um, from L Bobble, the Bobble himself. Uh, assessments on Onana and Adrissa Gay have revealed no long-term injuries. Both players monitored and managed this week to determine if they can be involved on Saturday. Um, and then on Dominic Calvert-Lewin, no surgery required, but unlikely to feature at the weekend, probably for the best to proceed with caution as far as DCL is concerned. Um, that's exciting. And as well as we've got uh, Ben Godfrey back in training. And as I mentioned earlier, Yeri Mina played 90 minutes. So reinforcements perhaps on uh, going to arrive shortly and no catastrophic injuries have taken place. Knock on wood. I, I can't imagine Dom plays in the weekend. It's just not worth it. Um, and I don't think he's going to make the England team. I mean, he just can't, you know I mean? It, yeah. it just not when you have guys like Tony that can be a backup that, that does some of the things that he does. Um, and it's a shame for him that he just can't seem to, to get healthy, but it is good news that he doesn't need surgery. I tell you what, I mean, Mina didn't look amazing today, but I do think he gives us something a little bit differently. And I love how fired up he gets us. And I, I don't think Ben Godfrey is a terrible option to, I mean, it's very easy to think about how poor he was last year and how many mistakes he made. Maybe put him next to someone like Tarkowski who's a good communicator that may change. Um, I just think there is some hope, at least with current personnel of fixing some of the defensive issues but ultimately, I mean, God, this would be a lot easier break going into January if we can get a result this weekend. I mean, this is a big game. Yeah, it's a huge match. It's going to be interesting to see how we set up without Dominic Calvert-Lewin, right? You know, you wonder, you wonder uh, based on the formation today, was that a function of Dominic Calvert-Lewin being out? Was that a function of wanting to give, you know, more of your wingers a rest? Was that a function of just trying to rotate in those back three? You never know. So, um, you know, all eyes will comfortably be on the match on Saturday against Bournemouth because, uh, you know, people have been saying, I think the overarching um, synopsis is you can't make 11 changes for the cup to, you know, in quotes, throw away a cup run to essentially then go back to Vitality Stadium on Saturday with your alleged first choice lineup and lose once more. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. It's, 
it's gonna be it's it's a huge match. Like like we said following the post match last episode, we get this, it'll be I think seven points from our final four matches, which is really in terms of the league, the priority, nothing to be overly concerned with. It kind of course corrects. However, if we lose to Bournemouth twice in a week, it's just a really sour note to then go on a month long hiatus for. The one concern, the bigger concern I've had and I've had all year is we really have one true six and that's Ghana. And to me, I could see him thinking, eh, you know, I got the World Cup coming up. Not sure if I'm going to be, you know, and, and that would be, I don't, that's a tough call. You know, I mean, Senegal is out there, you know, they play in the 21st. So God, I hope that wouldn't factor into the decision making. We really need him to be healthy for this match on the weekend or else I think we're in trouble. I think we'll see the 4-3-3 again. Hopefully that means the will will be on the left. I'm not as concerned about Onana because I think Dukes can do some of the things. Um I wonder if today, too, looking at the bench, that means you'll see McNeil and Gray out there again. I mean, Gordon has done zero, in my opinion, to warrant a start. Um, I don't know. I don't think the first team of this Bournemouth team is that freaking great either. There's no reason why we can't turn this thing around to get three points this weekend, even as poor as we've been. So they're choo-choo optimism train. I'm hopping back on it. I don't know what to feel about that. I like it. I like the optimism. It's a good note to wrap this episode on. And look. In isolation, okay, 4-1 to Bournemouth in the Cup, our biannual Cup exit episode that we always uh, end up doing. In isolation, the result is bad, but losing the, you know, we weren't going to win the the Carabao Cup. Let's be real. Focus can shift to the league. We can focus on beating Bournemouth. And yeah, look, they're nothing special. We made their B team look great today. Well, actually, we didn't even make them look good. We just gave them three goals, essentially, um, which I guess indirectly does make them look good but we can certainly go toe-to-toe with them at the weekend and again uh, uh, one win and everything changes it just feels like lately the wins have been so few and far between that we get four or five diabolical performances before we get another win to lift our spirits so let's hope that things end on a positive note before we take a hiatus for the world cup no everton for over a month many will be jubilant at that news any final words gentlemen before we adjourn prior to the weekend the only thing I'll say is I've seen a lot of takes out there saying this is relegation form. We need to, you know, as as a cause for moving on from Frank. What did you think was going to happen this year? Like that that one has me boggled. I mean, especially with some of the injuries and stuff. Guys, this isn't a great side. I mean, I think we'll be very fortunate to finish without being too stressed about relegation. That that would be a great step forward. I mean, think all the wages we've dumped and all the players we've dumped too. I mean, think of some of the guys even out there that, that we moved. I mean, you're telling me a lawn couldn't have been helpful today. I, I, you know what I mean? So I'm just saying as an example, and those are decisions we're making and those are risks we're taking and rules we're breaking. I ain't faking. The point I'm trying to say is <laughs> oh that God. no, I, I just cut off. I, I don't know why. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hey, oh, brother, this guy stinks. Play today. <laughs> anyway, the, the last, so all I'm just trying to say is I, I don't think you can point to the form and say the form is the reason to fire the man, considering I think we've been fortunate. If he really loses the team in terms of identity, worse than it has been, I get it. But I, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't feel a little somewhat comfortable or confident, shall I say, confident going into this weekend against these guys. That's just my take. I want to feel that way. So. Just, just smile and pretend, Alex. I just, just want to. Smile and pretend. <laughs> if you believe it, if you try to believe it hard enough, maybe it will happen. 
I'm going to say optimistic too. Choo choo optimism train. Shout out Sean Khan. That's going to do it for us on this episode of the American Toffee Podcast. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. If you're still listening, just a reminder to leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. Follow us on social media. Links in the description. Otherwise, we'll be with you next time. And until then, up the toffees.